My name is Brian Kinsey, and I'm the pastor of First Pentecostal Church in Pensacola. I'm delighted that you're listening to this message, and I hope it blesses your life. If you'd like to submit a prayer request, or if you're interested in a personal Bible study, you can call us at 850-477-1100, or send us an email at firstpent at firstpent.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, let's just do that. Let's praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He's worthy. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I turn your attention to 2 Kings chapter 9. Correction. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 9. 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 9. We'll just read one verse and then you'll be seated here shortly. Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. Everybody say good tidings. These four lepers realized that What they were doing wasn't right to keep to themselves. And we hold our peace, enjoying the blessings of what God had provided. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. These four men were willing to take a step of faith to go toward this Syrian camp. God provides, God makes a way, God does the miraculous and in the midst of enjoying the blessings they came to an understanding and said, you know what? We cannot hold our peace. We have got to tell what God has done. And this morning, for a few minutes, I'd like to preach to you unexpected ways. God works in unexpected ways to bring about his purpose and his plan. Would you put your Bibles down one more time and let's just lift our hands to the Lord and let's thank him for this day and the blessings to be able to be in the house of the Lord, to worship the Lord together. Jesus, we thank you today and we bless your name. An opportunity, Lord, we do not take lightly, but we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this day. Lord, speak to us. Have your way. Let your will be done, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, but as you're seated, would you give the Lord another hand clap of praise right now? It is quickly approaching fall weather. I say quickly in faith, believing that we will come out of the 90s temperature-wise and go somewhere down below the 80s and not too low now, but just low enough to be thankful that you can go outside without melting. 
But for the next six or eight months or so, it seems like, especially in Florida, the weather can change pretty drastically from one day to another. One day it may seem like it's nice and cool, and we'll see this. It'll be 70 degrees one day, and the next day it'll be back up to 94, and you'll wonder what in the world happened. It's, it's unpredictable. It's amazing that even with all of the technology we have today, when hurricanes are in the Gulf, and we rebuke those things in Jesus' name, but when they're in the Gulf of Mexico, they have these projected paths and the models that say it's going to go here, there, and everywhere. It's always fun to look at the spaghetti models, they call them, because those things are so wild. It's almost like, well, what's the point of this model? You've got arrows going in every direction. I mean, I could come up with a model that says it's going to go here, it's going to go there, it's a probability of here and there. Well, guess what? If it's in the Gulf of Mexico, it only has a certain amount of places it can go. Generally speaking, but even with all the technology, they, they, they still can't be as precise as they want to be. Why? The weather is unpredictable. You can't, you can't quite nail it down. They may be able to say with some level of certainty, but how many times is the weather person wrong? Notice I said that the way it should be said. The weather change, it's, it's unpredictable, but when you use that word unpredictable, it's not usually associated with God, associated to describe God and describe what he does, but there is much about God that remains a mystery to us. Now, it's not a mystery to us of what it means or what it takes to be saved. I believe that salvation is, is available for us in the word of God. We can clearly see it. God can, can direct our path and lead us to find salvation. But there are, there are some things that are a mystery. In other words, we, we don't know. As Paul said, we, we know in part, but we, we don't have the full picture. We do, we're missing some of that knowledge that only God can give, but it takes faith for you and I to trust in God when it seems like we're in circumstances and situations that, that don't make sense. And my goodness, 2020, are we in the midst of just uncertain times? But isn't it wonderful that in the midst of uncertain times that you and I have a rock that we can stand on, we have his word that we can trust in? We have a confidence in our God that, yes, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but I know today my God is faithful. And if I open my eyes tomorrow, I believe he's going to be faithful as well. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Would you give God some praise right now? He is great. Greatly to be praised. Paul said it's that knowing in part, it's, it's our journey to understand who God is, to grasp his nature. We can become overwhelmed by, by what we're dealing with and even the understanding that God is far beyond us and, and we can't fully comprehend him. But listen, if you look at the word of God, it shows us that our God is sovereign. He, he will do what he has planned to do. You and I cannot make God do anything. We can't force God's hand. If we could force God's hand, guess what? We, we would do it. 
foolishly, but we would do it. If, if we had that ability, we don't have that ability. But God, in his sovereignty, he works according to his will and his plan. It's that unexpected, it's that uncertainty or unpredictableness of God that sometimes it'll challenge our faith. And we don't know exactly what God is doing in this situation, but we trust. Why? Because experience in God has taught us something, and that this something's very important, that there have been times in my life I did not understand what in the world was going on around me. I had no clue on how it was all going to work out, but in the midst of it, I just kept trusting in God. I don't see the right way, Lord. I, I don't see where this is going to work out, but I'm going to trust you one day at a time. And when you look back in your experience with God, how many times has God proven to be faithful? I know here we are, but in 2020, God has proven himself to be faithful. If you look at 2 Kings in our reading, Syria is surrounded by Samaria, Samaria, the people of God, sin and rebellion. So often you see it in the Old Testament. It leads God's people into that place of total loss. They're surrounded. They're in the midst of famine. And, and the king... Jehoram, he was desperate. He wanted to find out what's going on, how they could fix the situation. And the, the scripture shows us that the, the economic conditions were terrible. They were reaching rock bottom. The people were eating their own children to satisfy their hunger. The king is upset with the man of God, the prophet Elijah. The situation had been brought about even by the, own, the king's own leadership and rebellion against the word of God. When we rebel against the word of God, when we fight against his word, when we do our own will, why is it that we are surprised when things are not going the way we want them to go? So many times Israel found themselves in that place and it takes them a little bit like us to wake up and say, hold on. What are we doing that's not right before God? We need to get ourselves back to repent and get ourselves right with God. That way the blessings of God, the peace of God, the provision of God, his promises can be activated in our lives. The king is suffering through his bad decisions, his rebellion. He's wondering what's going on. He's mad at Elisha. But this is what Elisha said in 2 Kings 7 and 1. Israel is turning their ears to the prophet Elisha for direction. Everything has hit rock bottom for them. Everything has gone from bad to worse. And the man of God steps up. And Elisha said, hear ye the word of the Lord. Now in the midst of such times, you would think this is exactly what we want to hear. Let's, Lord, speak to us. Lord, let us hear what you have to say. Church, this is our attitude today. Lord, let us hear what you will speak. Let us, let us hear today in these services what you would speak unto your people. Elisha said, hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, tomorrow about this time shall a measure of flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Tomorrow everything is going to turn around. Can you believe that word? 
Can you believe the word that Elisha declared? He said, this isn't me. He said, the word of the Lord. The Bible says that immediately the Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, there's always somebody who's going to doubt. In every area of life, but especially coming in concerning kingdom matters, this man declared, he said, Behold, if the Lord will make windows in heaven, might this thing be? You know, have you ever known anybody like this? Are you guilty of this? How when you read the promises of God or a word is spoken into your life and, and you just have that attitude or you share it with somebody and they said, well, how in the world can that be? I mean, you're dealing with this. You're dealing with that. How is God going to restore this or heal that or do what you're saying he's going to do? There's always a voice of negativity. But here's what the man of God said. All right, if you find this hard to believe, he said, Behold, you shall see it with thine eyes. You're going to see the proof of it, but you are not going to eat of it. He said, You are not going to be able to partake in what God has done because you are questioning what God is able to do. Church, let's not question what God is able to do. Because the Bible says he's able to do less than what you think. I don't even, I don't even like declaring that. He's able to do exceeding abundantly. He's able to do beyond what we ask or think. He's able to do more than what we're asking him for. He's able to do greater than we can understand. When you talk about revival, some people look at it something very small. But when we talk about revival, I don't think we fully comprehend what God is going to do in this hour. God is doing a mighty work today when people... People are depressed when people are cast down about what's going on in the world. You need to look up. Why? Because God's done a marvelous work right here, right now. God is filling people with the Holy Ghost. People are being baptized in the name of Jesus. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. He's doing great things. I know we've had to make a lot of changes to our normal routine and our, our schedule of services and all of these things, a lot of change. We don't like change, but, but what I love about, about what, what has happened over the last few months is it doesn't, it doesn't matter what's going on on the outside. We have been determined that we want to be able to come together safely and come together wisely and worship God together. You might say, well, that's very dangerous. Listen, we want what God desires in this hour and in the midst of all of this we've had people filled with the Holy Ghost in these altars we've had people baptized in Jesus name if the church closes its doors 
Would those souls have received what they had received? Unexpected ways. It's not the way that we would want to do things. It's not the way that we would desire to have things go. But God works in those unexpected ways that even in the midst of all of this, there are hungry souls that are saying, you know what? I I need something to hold on to because everything in society is collapsing. That may sound like doom and gloom, but to me it's really not because, listen, we know you've never been able to hold on to the institutions around us. And if you did, it was, a, it, was a, it was certainly a mistake to trust in those things, but our trust must not be in everything around us. Our trust must be in the word of the Lord. So here is this man that the, that the king relies on saying, how could that be? One translation said that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. That's what the naysayers are about. That's what those who, are, who can't understand uh, God and understand that, listen, you have, may have placed limitations on God, but God is not limited You know, some believe the word of the Lord came from the prophet, but others did not believe. We see that today. That's Nothing has changed. Some people believe, and some people choose to doubt. You see that on the day of Pentecost when, when some were mocking, but there were those that believed when God poured out of his spirit on that wonderful day on, in Acts chapter 2. And we fight that battle even here and now. We fight that battle with people believing the word of the Lord. In this hour, we just need to continue. Continue to declare the word of the Lord. Declare his precious word. Because listen, there's nothing else that's going to keep us other than the word of the Lord. If you believe that, would you give God some praise right now? People are deciding that I can't hold on to anything in this world. I've got to have something more. And and that's the church's purpose in this hour. We can point them to the one who can be an anchor for their soul. The one who they can trust in. The one who they can place their faith in. How could this happen even if the Lord opens the windows of heaven? You know, there are those that say God can't. And those are not words that we're used to here at First Pentecostal Church. We don't, we don't even like to even say that. We believe God can. In fact, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. But there are some things that God cannot do. The scripture tells us that God cannot lie. He can't lie. He's bound to his word. If you look at the story of these lepers, it illustrates once again that the word of the Lord will always come to pass. The prophet Isaiah wrote, he said, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I have sent it. God said, my word, when it goes forth, it's going to accomplish my will. It's going to accomplish my plan, and I want to be the thing on the receiving end of that word. 
Rest assured, church, that God's word will always come to pass. These four men, these lepers are at the gate of the city. They're on the outskirts. But they are the ones that God chose to bring salvation to the Samaritans. God chose to use these men. Unlikely, unqualified outsiders. They changed the course of a nation and gave another chance to a king to get it right. These four men that no one would have said anything good can come from them. I mean, they're just waiting to die. Nothing good's going to happen from these lives. They're, they're outside the city. In fact, we, we, we've got them on the outside. Like, and, and they're not going to be able to do anything that has an impact upon our nation. But listen, God is able to use anything, anyone, to accomplish his will. I want to say that one more time. God can use anything and you could use anyone to accomplish his will. <laughs> yeah, it's unlikely, and it's unexpected, but God used them. You know, it seems even the people of God, you know, they, they don't expect the, the workings of God and how God works, but it's God's plan, even from Abraham to Jacob, from Gideon to David. God has always empowered those who did not match the standard of what some would call great. Even Jesse, when, when the prophet is standing there looking at his sons, Jesse doesn't even think to call David to the house. He's not even in the picture. He's not even being talked about. And no matter how good his brothers looked, no matter how qualified they would have been, God said, that's not the one, and that's not the one, and that's not the one. It's the one that nobody in this room is even thinking about. He's out there doing something that, that listen, he's being faithful in his task, but out there taking care of that, of that flock, he's worshiping me. He's seeking me. In fact, he's the one that I have called. The unexpected one, the one who would, they would say was unqualified. Even Jesus' disciples were men that probably would not have been chosen for much of anything in, the, in this life. But, but Jesus chose them to be his disciples. And you see this when he calls them and he changes them and transforms them. These leprous men reached a decision point. It was the driving force for these lepers. It was summed up in their question when they simply said, why do we sit here? Why sit we here until we die? Why are we going to remain where we are? In other words, how can this get any worse? It really, it's a scary thing. You ever said that? <laughs> Be careful because you say that sometimes. Oh, you could see how things can get worse. <laughs> but I believe for these men, the only thing that would be worse than their condition, if you wanted to look at it that way, would be that they would die. But their situation had gotten to the point, they no longer feared the consequence of death. I need to say that. They reached a point where they said, we're not concerned even about death the fear of death no longer held them back 
because they were saying that if we go to the Syrian camp, they're probably going to kill us. That's a probable outcome. That's one of the possibilities. So, so guys, when we leave here, understand that we're probably, if they look on us and don't have any pity upon us, we're dead. But you know what? We're dead if we stay here. The fear of death no longer held them back. The fear of losing their lives did not hold them back. You know, oftentimes, church, listen, people allow fear to hold them hostage and hold them back. And, and they don't want to do what God's calling them to do because of fear is keeping them captive. But don't remain captive to fear. You need to break through that fear in the name of Jesus and say, you know what, Lord, if you're calling me, you're going to equip me. You're going to make a way for me. Don't let me let fear hold me back. Fear tends to keep people in the state that they would rather that they would rather be rather than trying to reach for something greater. Fear is something that all of us have to deal with. Fear is a major factor in every life choice a person makes. Fear can be a good thing. <laughs> fear could also, that healthy fear is something that we need. My, my, my daughter Eva, she understands when we ride a bike now, to keep your feet well away from the spokes of the tires. You know Why? Because when you get your foot stuck in the spoke to those tires on a bicycle and you get part of the skin ripped off your heel and it's not a pleasant experience, any other bike ride from this point forward in her life, she will always know my feet remain on the pedals. Don't get anywhere near those tires. That fear says, you know what, I don't like, I don't like the, what happened because of, of a choice that I made. My feet will remain in a safe place. Fear can be a good thing, fear, a healthy fear, but fear can be unhealthy. It can be irrational, and we need to be careful today because the spirit of fear can gain strength when it's unchecked in our lives. Paul said, God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but what, of power? and of love, and of a sound mind. How many people today can benefit from having a sound You don't have to go to the pharmacy to pick up the pill to have a sound mind. You don't have to have a doctor prescribe it for you. In fact, if you will just receive what the Lord has given you in his promise, in his word, he's given us power, love, and of a sound mind. You got to make up in your mind that you're not going to let fear hinder the progress of the gospel or to keep you from receiving what God has planned for you and your life. These men decided to walk to the Syrians each day, you and I make an incalculable amount of decisions. Believe it or not, you're deciding moment by moment what you're going to do, what you're going to say, how you're going to think, how are you going to respond. The recipe for success, though, how many of us understand that it's making good decisions? I guarantee this morning on the way to church, there were some people that were upset heading in the other direction because the speed trap. That was on the other side of the interstate. Thank the Lord. I could see the cars coming. And how many of you look in your rearview mirror going, oh, I wonder if they got them. Mm -hmm. 
That decision of pressing that accelerator beyond the speed limit will soon be one of those decisions you wish you didn't make. The key is making the right decision. One study showed that uh, the cascade of choices a person evaluates each day actually leads to what psychologists refer to as decision fatigue. If you remember, those of you that are beyond the children in your house years, if you remember when the children were in your home and they ask questions from the time they get up to the time they go to sleep, And you have to make decisions constantly. Can I have this? Can I have that? Can I go here? Can I do this? Can I do that? Do you remember ever reaching a point where you just said, all right. That's how I am sometimes. The youngest one who seems to rule the roost in our house has so many cookies during the day. It's 9 o'clock at night. Daddy, can I have a cookie? Uh Uh-huh. And she knows how to wrap the arms around you and snuggle up next to you. And I'm decision fatigued. All right. (laughs) Is it a good decision? No. Because when I want her to go to sleep, that sugar just keeps her going a little bit longer. And sometimes we reach that point of decision fatigue Not all decisions are created equal. If you're in the store trying to pick out toothpaste, that's a decision. But when you're looking for someone to spend your life with, that's a decision, but that's a whole different level of decision. Not all decisions are the same. But these four men were faced with a decision that would determine the fate of their lives and the destiny of a nation. Yeah, these four men, this unexpected group of lepers, faced a decision that would determine their fate and the destiny of a nation. If we enter into the city and the famines in the city, we shall die there. If we sit here, we'll also die. Now, therefore, come, let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. But if they kill us, we shall but die gravity of the situation of our, of our choices is paramount in our walk with God. There may be some choices we make today that will set us on a path of growth or that it will send us down or lead us down a path of destruction. Decisions and choices that we make. I'm so thankful that God will always fight for his people. God will always fight for us. What this story shows us is that God is is always fighting for us. In fact, there are moments in life when we're too weak, we're too overwhelmed, and we're even outmatched. Even in those situations, God is still fighting the battle for us. The scriptures tell us over and over again how the Lord came to bring victory to his people. Even standing on the edge of the promised land, The land promised to their fathers. The children of Israel saw an enemy of great power occupying their destiny. In the midst of their fear, though, there were two men. In the midst of all of the fear, two men reported that the victory was within reach. (laughs) Oh, yeah, to the majority, it was not. It was impossible. But for, for Caleb, for Joshua, the victory was within reach. There's a consistent message over and over again. Deuteronomy 3 and 22, the Lord your God shall 
fight for you. The Lord your God, he shall fight for you. You need to understand that this morning and put that in your heart and mind. Understand that God will fight for us. But God also responds to hunger. Hunger always seems to get God's attention. In the midst of the multitude, listen, 5,000 people, Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? For they shall be filled not only spiritually, but physically. I think often if I was in that multitude, Jesus probably would have had to do that miracle earlier than that. I would have been one of those in the crowd with their stomach going, oh, Lord, it's time to eat. We need some food. But you know what? Not only spiritual hunger, physical hunger. hunger. Listen, Jesus didn't ignore that. But he said, you know what? There's a need. And I'm going to meet that need. God himself told Moses that his compassion is given by himself alone. God said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Have you been on the receiving end of God's mercy? Have you been on the receiving end of his grace? Has he responded ever to your hunger? Here the lepers, they, they find this camp now. God causes the enemy to flee from their, all of their goods, all of their possessions, everything they had. They're, they're in the midst of the camp, and they go from one tent unto the other, eating and drinking and carrying out gold and silver and clothes. And they went and would hide the, the merchandise and come again and do the same thing in another tent. But they finally reached a point and said, hold on, time out. Wait, what we're doing is not good. We are surrounded by blessings. The enemy has, has fled this camp, and, and we cannot keep this to ourselves. You know, if you've ever on an airplane and you're ignoring the announcements prior to flight. Now, if you fly all the time, you probably ignore it because you heard it a thousand times. But if you listen, they will always tell you in the case of an emergency and, and, and the cabin is depressurized and those face masks come down. What do they tell you about the face mask? If you have a child, what do you do? Yours goes, you put your mask on first because if you try to get the child's on, chances are you may lose consciousness before you can complete the task and you are of no good now to that child and yourself. You know why? Because you didn't put yourself first. And that might seem odd, but in order to be helpful, the parent has to take that mask and get themselves fixed in order to assist the child. And so I believe that in order for us, you and I, the church, to be a help to the world, that you and I need to go ahead and get ourselves right. Get some things out of our own lives. Get some things worked out out of our own heart. Get some attitudes that aren't right out of our own mind and our own thinking. And then, you know, when you've got that coworker that's, that's in need of help, guess what? Then you can help them. Would you stand with me right now? Those le the four lepers reached a point that said, you know what? We've got all this treasure. We've got all this food. We've got all these blessings 
We're not going to keep it to ourselves. But we're going to go back and we're going to tell the people. We don't do well keeping all this to ourselves. Come, therefore, let us go and tell the king's household. The lepers have kept silent. The people would have stayed in their misery. And church, we can't keep silent in this hour. There's a world in misery, and they need to hear the good news that only you and I can deliver. <laughs> yep. Samaria plundered the Syrian camp. They received all that was there for them for the taking. But just like the man of God said, hear ye the word of the Lord. Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel. Two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. By this time tomorrow, God's going to do something unexpected. He's going to use some people that no one would have thought about using. But he was going to use them to bring about his plan and his will. Church, I believe that God is working in this hour in some unexpected ways ways we would have never thought of in 2019, but here we are. Would you lift your hands unto the Lord right now and would you call unto his name? Because I believe there are some people in this place right now that life circumstances are not what you thought they would be right here, right now, but here's a reminder, God's faithful. God is faithful. Place your trust in the Lord. Place your confidence in him. He will lead you. He will direct you. He will guide you. He will direct your path. That's it. That's it. Lift your voice right now unto the Lord. We hope you enjoyed this message. Please reach out to us if you have any questions. We can be found at firstpent.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-E-N-T dot org. If you're ever in Pensacola, Florida, we hope you visit us. Be blessed in Jesus' name.